Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to get there in just a few minutes. One day, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, and uh, Jesus gives his followers a very disturbing command that they had never heard before. And he said, unless they eat and drink of him, they will not have life. And that was a statement that eventually caused a lot of confusion, especially among those who were outside of, uh, of the faith, those who were not followers of Jesus yet. Uh, they were beginning to accuse Christians of being cannibals, and uh, their accusations actually bled over into those who did follow Jesus, and, uh, and it created a lot of confusion for them. And so many of them began to walk away from Jesus as well. And, uh, and so Jesus, upon seeing this exodus of followers, Jesus asked his disciples, the, the twelve that walked with him every day, he said to them, do you want to leave me as well? And Peter, obviously having thought through the question long before it was asked, Jesus said in John chapter 6, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Shortly following that experience, there was uh, much discussion about who Jesus really was. And where did he really come from? Some people said that perhaps he was John the Baptist, which is a really strange answer to me, seeing how John the Baptist and Jesus were at the same place at least a few times. But some believe that he was John the Baptist come back to the life. Come back to life if you remember John had had his head cut off. Others conjectured that Jesus perhaps was Elijah because, uh, because of his... Uh, uh, miracle working and because of his prophetic gifts. Some said that he was Jeremiah, perhaps, or another of the, the prophets. All that is found in Matthew chapter 16, which is a pretty parallel, uh, very quick uh, in chronology uh, passage of Scripture to the one that we're in today. But Jesus wasn't as concerned about what people who did not know him thought about him Jesus was very interested and primarily concerned about what his own disciples thought about him. And so he asked them, what do you, who do you say that I am? And Peter was very quick to give the confession. I don't know if they voted to always make Peter the spokesman, but he was always the first to answer. He was immediate. He was emphatic. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, Peter actually makes two confessions here, two separate truths about who Jesus is. First, he says, you are the Christ, was actually a Greek word. It's a Greek word that matches up perfectly to the Hebrew word Messiah. So when Peter says, you are the Christ, he is saying, you are the anointed one that God promised to send us, to heal us, to restore us, to renew us. Not only that, but we recognize you're not only the Messiah, you are the Son of the living God. Peter was characterized by his spontaneous and, well, let's be honest, unthought-out uh, actions and outbursts, and he frequently spoke without thinking. In instance, uh, however, he is to be applauded 
for his answer. But before we cheer for Peter too loudly, because this was a great confession of who Jesus is, we have to look at the next event in the story. Shortly after this uh, conversation, Jesus began to prepare his disciples for his, his coming death. That is in uh, Matthew, in Matthew 16, uh, verse 21. And uh, these words don't really set well with Peter. If you remember, Jesus starts talking about what life's going to look like after his, his death. And, and uh, Peter is starting to get anxious. And I think the primary reason why most of the disciples are getting anxious about this is because they can't see that from where they're standing. They can't, they can't think about that from where they, are, where they are thinking. And so if you remember what Peter says, again, spontaneously, he says, Never, Lord, we will die with you before we allow you to be dead, we will go with you. And Jesus kept talking about the need for death and crucifixion, and Peter is resisting that full-heartedly. And he even said, this will never happen to you, because Peter is convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And even though Jesus may have a moment of doubt right now of who he is, and he begins to talk about his death because of his doubt, Peter is there to lift him and to encourage him and to strengthen him. It's not going to happen to you. You're not made for death. Because Peter had, even though he knew who Jesus was, he was missing him entirely. Entirely. Peter was assuming that because Jesus was the Messiah, that he had come to establish an earthly kingdom and to overthrow the Roman government. Peter wasn't listening for the last three years. He thought he was. In fact, he thought he was the best. But he hadn't even been listening. He wasn't teachable because he was already had some expectations about the Messiah. His, I want you to listen to this, and I want you to see the parallel in our own lives. His processing stopped when his heart revealed his desire. He stopped listening and stopped learning when he thought he already arrived. His expectations then were hiding what God was doing through Jesus and what God wanted to do through Peter. Now, Peter was right about who Jesus was, but he was wrong about why Jesus came. This would allow Peter to see himself as a ruler instead of a servant. Peter was looking for a seat next to the king instead of being a servant. He was looking at man's kingdom, his own kingdom, instead of God's kingdom. And the issue here is absolutely critical. Critical enough for Jesus to respond to Peter with a very uncharacteristic harshness. When Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Get behind me, Satan. Very strong Words, I'm sure that it kind of took Peter off guard. If Jesus were, were not to die in accordance with the Father's plan, then Satan would win the victory in the battle for the human soul and in the battle for our destiny. And Peter was in fact voicing Satan's opinion in that moment. Peter had structured his own conception of Jesus to fit within the parameters of his own expectations. Because this is what I want Jesus to do for me. This is what I'm expecting Jesus to do. Therefore, it's the only thing that Peter could see. 
The consummate man of action wanted a king with a kingdom, not death with apparent defeat. But that's not just Peter. It's every person who has ever said yes to Jesus. All of the disciples did this initially. But don't we do the same thing? We are quick to confess that Jesus is the Son of God, but then we try to proceed to force Him into our own image, into our own perspectives, into our own needs. Our human, I want you to listen to this so closely, okay, please. I think this is a life-changing principles that we're talking about today. Our human nature wants to make Jesus Christ relate to the needs that we have identified rather than meeting the needs that He has identified in us. So when we know the needs that we want Him to meet, those are the only ways that we're watching for Him to work. But Jesus has already identified our needs, our deepest needs, our, our, the, the most needy parts about us. We are only willing to strip through the peels, the layers of our lives so deep. Once we've identified what we want, then we demand that Jesus meet that. <laughs> so, let me put it for myself. Many of our prayers, it looks like this. I know me, and here is my need. And so, because this is my need, Jesus, this is my expectation of you. But the reality is, is when we give our life to Him, and even, even before that, even when we are lost without Him, He knows us. He proves that time and time and time again. He created us. He knew us before we even took our first breath. And because He knows me, He has already identified my deepest needs. I must learn to see Him at His expectation of me, not my expectations of Him. My need, my expectation will bring me to a place where I'm willing to walk away. But when I know what He says my need is, then I will learn to expect what His remedy is, and I will grow into Christ-likeness. If I know what my need is, and I am aware of my comfort level, and my fear, and my doubt, and my guilt, and my emptiness, and I, I identify what's causing that, and I look into Scripture, and I'm only looking at the parts that pertain to what I think my need is. But if I will give my needs over to Him, He will actually pierce through all of my lies and all of my own deceptions and reveal to me what my deepest needs truly are. And then it is my responsibility to look into His Word, all of it, to find out what His expectations and what His remedy is. When I put my expectations first, I'm asking God to adopt my expectation. To rewrite Scripture... And let me tell you something, most of the time, God's going to let you down if you expect Him to adopt your expectation. But when Scripture identifies our needs, I am then called to adopt His expectation, and God lifts me up. And if there's ever been a day for us to need lifting, for us to experience revival and renewal, it's, it's today. It's to get back to the Scripture to see what God says our needs truly are instead of our own felt needs which lead to faulty expectations. When we redefine Jesus, we're actually doing the work of Satan. And at that point, we, like Peter, cannot understand our leader or our enemy. 
This applies not only to individuals inside and outside the church, but also in ancient and modern customs and cultures. The reason that we look to Jesus is because we already sense an emptiness that he promises to feel. The problem is that we peel back our problem, we wrongly identify the cause of our felt need, and we want Jesus to speak to the need that we identify rather than the true cause. Now here's the problem. Because of who we are in our carnal nature, the the, the problem that we identify most of the time is a physical problem, a flesh issue. If I only had this particular thing that belongs to this world, my problems would go away. I would be better. My issues would be remedied. But Jesus very clearly came to tell us that our biggest issues are not the issues of the flesh. Our issues are the issues of the Spirit. When our issue is of the flesh, those needs will be met physically. But when the issue is spirit, spiritual issues cannot be handled in the physical realm. When the issue is spiritual, the remedy is also spiritual. But I can only see the flesh. When I look through myself, I can only see the flesh. People don't remain in Christ because Jesus always does what they always will do what they want, because Jesus always lives up to their expectations. They remain when they surrender to who He really is, and they propose to obey what He has told us to do. Like those early followers of Jesus, many of them walk away when Jesus does not meet our expectations. Let me illustrate this in another way. We have to turn to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now this is Palm Sunday. It may not seem like it because we don't have children lined up in a parade shaking palm branches uh, today. But today is Palm Sunday. It's the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the first day of the last week of his life. And he was greeted by all of the townspeople who came out with expectations of the Messiah. All four gospel writers teach that Jesus entered into Jerusalem that last week of his life. So I'm going to read Matthew chapter 21. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, which we just read in Zechariah chapter 9. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, a king, uh, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as he directed them. and They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their, on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? 
And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus who comes from Nazareth of Galilee. So this is the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy centuries earlier. And it means that the king is coming. The king is coming to redeem Israel after centuries of expectation. Now, when we read the word king, there's a certain picture of expectation. If my world is the things that I can see and identified fears and needs and emptiness belong to this world, then my expectations of a king is someone who is going to come and to drive out oppression, beginning with Rome and then setting Israel up as a major world empire. But Jesus started at the temple. That's a weird way to dominate. And he targeted not the Romans, but the Jews. Not the pagans, but the religious leaders. This isn't going well. So when Jesus is approaching the gate, they are excited that their future king is here to minister to all of their physical felt needs. To give them back their jobs, their homes, their money, their independence. But Jesus is coming to reveal that their needs are not physical. Their needs are spiritual. And Jesus refused to meet needs. Jesus refused to meet the expectations of their felt needs. And rather went straight to the heart. You see, the king that we're shouting to is not meeting our expectations. He's meeting his expectations. To the Jews at the gate, Jesus' entry means an end to the Roman occupation. Restoration of national Israel to heights that haven't been seen since the Babylonian exile. To the Romans who were there, this means that this backward Jewish people are at it again. And uh, with their debunked traditions and hapless superstitions and their prophecies that, uh, that they held on to so dear, how in this world could an itinerant rabbi who had, who had no uh, uh, credentials from the temple on the back of a pack mule with an army of women, untrained tax collectors, and fishermen move the immovable, invincible Roman Empire. To the disciples who were following with Jesus, the entrance means that their loyalty and their devotion over the last three years are going to be rewarded, and their futures are going to be secured with the spoils and the perks of the kingdom that's about to begin. Even Jesus' closest disciples, His closest friends on the way to Jerusalem, begin to jockey over prominence of who's going to be the best in this new kingdom. Rather than planning a national attack against Rome, rather than heading to the traitor, the high priest, Jesus goes to the temple and he begins to point out problems there. And he attracts not soldiers, not zealots, not warriors, but blind people and lame people and sick people. And rather than training them for battle, he sits down and teaches them. Not war strategy, but peace and prayer. The Pharisees come to stop him as he is teaching and tells them that Jesus tells them that prostitutes and tax collectors are going to get to heaven before they do. And Jesus begins to maintain, even in this last week, a surprisingly low profile. He disappears for quantities of time. He spends whole chunks of time off with his disciples, eating in private and praying by himself in the gardens. Jesus is not meeting our Hosanna, son of a warrior King David 
expectations. People begin to fade. They begin to get frustrated. They begin to lose heart. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. What we supposed he would do. We're getting frustrated and impatient. He's processing exactly according to our need. Our need, not our expectations. He persists in failing as the glorious conqueror that we welcomed at the gate. He's not meeting our expectations. doesn't do what we've said again and again that we need Him to do in order to get what it is that we want from Him. Maybe it is that He doesn't care. Maybe He doesn't know. Maybe He isn't who, he, who we thought He was. Perhaps this was Judas's problem. Perhaps Jesus was not meeting Judas's expectations of being the treasurer in the kingdom of Israel. And so Judas took matters into his own hands and began to press Jesus to make some decisions, to force Jesus to take the thrones of this world. But what Jesus wanted was the throne of Judas's heart. Jesus, Jesus has done some amazing things, enough to get our attention, enough to make us think, enough to generate interest. I mean, he's raised dead people back to life. Jesus has taught some pretty astounding messages. Jesus has done some pretty incredible documented things. When he fails to do what we want, what do we do? We give up and we fold. We go from joyfully waving our palm branches to angrily shaking our fists and gnashing our teeth. Cheers and pats on the back turn into fists in the air and a mob shouting for judgment and death. This is the whole week of Holy Week. And we live it too because it's the drama at work in our hearts as well. When we cry, Hosanna, we welcome Christ we must know that Jesus did not come to line out our life to be in comfort. He comes straight to the heart of who we are to clean us out. Removing all of our uncomfortable, all of our comfortable compromises, small and great. And He will not start or stop with our perceived needs, our stated agenda. And this is because He knows that they are not our real problems. They're just the ones that we feel. And the ones that we feel are not the deepest ones. They are symptoms of a, deep, of a deeper problem. Why would he treat symptoms when he has the cure? So why would we settle for our expectations when we could experience his spiritual life and his spiritual kingdom? If we only cry Hosanna because we want Jesus to do what we want and expect, because we want Him to only cast out the things that we want Him to cast out. Get rid of the things we want Him to get rid of. Let me tell you, we will join the mob later. We will become disenfranchised. We'll become frustrated. We'll become disappointed. We'll become dejected. And we will walk away. If we do not allow Him to cleanse the most sacred the interior parts of our temples and of our souls, you know those scary, painful, private places in which we're most afraid of being seen and known, those places where we are most ashamed, then we're going to join the mob later this week. 
listen to this, to reject the the work that Jesus came to do in favor of the work that we want him to do is disobedience. And ultimately is a shout of crucify him, crucify him. Palm Sunday reveals how quickly we can become infected and how contagious that infection becomes. It reveals to us our real conflict. We know that we need, but we're so selfish and we're so self-focused. We do not have the ability to see our real need, but Jesus does. Jesus does see it. We appeal to Jesus to give us only what we want. Hosanna, we cry. Come and to us. Come fill my life. Come fill my emptiness. But quietly, we say, but don't come in a way that's uncomfortable. Don't change too much. Don't point that out. Knowing that, Jesus humbles himself to enter Jerusalem. Humbles himself to feed us his own body and his own blood. Jesus, knowing that Judas's expectations were wrong, continued to feed Judas so that Judas could see, but he wasn't teachable. Judas went his own way. I think of even the night of his arrest, Jesus, knowing all things, knelt and washed Judas's feet. I think of Jesus when he's being nailed to the cross and he hangs there. And he looks at the very ones with the hammers in their hand. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They had expectations. But they hadn't identified their real needs. Jesus knew their real needs. But they weren't in a place where they could learn or see from where they were looking. But despite our double heart, our mixed broken intentions, Jesus calmly enters into our chaos with humility, unswayed by the cries of our fleeting emotions, our fragile resolutions, and he says quietly in the midst of our shouting. When we shout Hosanna, and he knows that we don't mean it, and when we shout crucify him, revealing our true heart, Jesus says, I'm here now. I'm here to save you from the inside out. I know you. I love you. I'm not afraid of your fear, and I'm not afraid of your confusion. And I'm not going anywhere. In fact, I'm with you to the end. I hope that you're encouraged by knowing that wherever you are spiritually, your issues are spiritual. There may be physical issues in your life that's pointing to something spiritual. But Jesus is able to meet both. Don't settle with only being comfortable in this world. There is a spiritual comfort and a closeness that only comes from listening to the Word of God and spending time with Him and His revealed needs, uh, our revealed needs from Him to us. So I pray, this is one of the reasons why I think He says in the book of Revelation, let let the churches hear what the Spirit has to say. Because once we have our minds made up, we don't hear any longer. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And I pray that 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 is what will happen in our own lives. So I want you to pray with me. If you want to talk about this, maybe you want to receive Christ as your Savior. We've We've already seen people come to know the Lord through the last couple of weeks. 
uh, as a result of people li- being able to listen and process. And so if you want to be able to talk about how Jesus can be your Lord and Savior and how He can adjust your needs and your expectations and He can really give you eternal life, I want you to reach out to us. You can do that on our Facebook page or my personal page or you can uh, text me. My number is on the, uh, the screen now. You can text me there or you can email me there or call me and I'm happy to pray with you and to show you how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for knowing what you know and coming anyway. We thank you that you are not put off by our selfish expectations. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you will remind us of your closeness and of your love. You remind us of our sin and your love. You remind us of our inability to learn and your ability to walk through the gate. So, Lord, I pray that where we, we mean Hosanna, but we don't really know what we mean. So I pray, Lord, that we would learn more and more of you. Lord, help us to, to live and to process in the spiritual world. Help us to grow in Christ-likeness and not just seek to grow in comfort. May we not be like those that walk away when we're frustrated with the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.